Have you thought this through? No way will that work. Are you sure? Is there any money in that? You'll never make any money doing that. How are you going to pay the mortgage? Just get a job. Savvy Entrepreneur. We are broadcasting live on WLCB 101.5 FM from the greater Chicago, Milwaukee area. I'm your host, Doris Nagel. I'm a crazy entrepreneur myself, and I love helping other entrepreneurs. I've counseled lots of startups and small businesses as part of my law and consulting practice, and I've also started or helped start at least nine different startups. I wish I could tell you they were all wildly successful, but that would be a lie. Made a lot of mistakes. And my passion is to share what I've learned, find other experts and entrepreneurs to also share their advice and insight. So the goal of the show is to inform and to inspire. As always, I welcome your comments, questions, suggestions. If there's a topic or challenge you're dealing with, you want to be a guest you found a great resource, or you just want to shoot the breeze, email me at dnagel, N-A-G-E-L, at lakesradio.org. The show will be better for your input. And now, I'm delighted to introduce our guests for today. With us by phone are Marsha McVicker and Mickey York, who will share the story of a company called Aaron Solutions. It's a small but rapidly growing company based in Chicago. According to their website, and we'll hear more, I'm sure, from Marsha and Mickey in a minute, Aaron Solutions helps people cross items off their personal to-do list while they're at work, which gives them more quality time with their friends and family and improves employee productivity. They also provide services to hospitals and other healthcare organizations to help families and patients with some of the challenges that they face. Aaron Solutions has been recognized as one of the fastest growing companies by Fortune. Marsha is the founder and the CEO of Aaron Solutions. She has both an undergraduate and an MBA from the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Go Badgers, Marsha. She's, she's a frequent guest lecturer on entrepreneurship, work life and balance and, and has been a speaker at numerous forums, including Crane Chicago Business Forum and Springboard, which is a platform for top female-owned businesses. She's been featured all over the place, MSNBC, MSN Business on Main, and NPR. She somehow manages also to find time with all of that to be the chair of an organization called FEJ, which is a Haitian foundation to create sustainable communities there. Mickey York is no slouch himself. He is the company's director of marketing innovation. He started work with Aaron Solutions in 2005 as a part-time concierge. And now, 15 years later, he's the product designer, as well as a whole bunch of other jobs that sound like he's pretty much the, the right-hand person to Marsh's left hand. He has also been known, it says, to make PowerPoints just for fun. 
He holds a Bachelor of Fine Arts degree from Drake University, a Master's in Arts Management from Columbia College. He's also an adjunct professor at the School of Business and Entrepreneurship at Columbia College. And outside of the office, he has some very interesting jobs. He hosts the Saturday Night Social Lounge at a piano bar in Chicago and also plays a number of instruments at weddings and other gigs. And I have to question your wisdom here, Mickey, but that's all right. Uh, He's a a self-professed Kansas City Royal fan. So with that, that, Marsha and Mickey, thank you so much for being on the show today. Welcome to the Savvy Entrepreneur. Thanks, Doris. We're excited to be here. And boy, Mickey, that introduction. How do you find the time? (laughs) Well, how do you you find the time? I, I found myself looking at all the accomplishments you've both and i know from working with startup companies how absolutely consuming it often is working with the startup company so my hat's off to both of you for finding time for amazing things beyond work well thank you and actually i think we can both credit it to the company i mean that's we're actually in the business of saving people time and we are probably both guilty of taking full advantage of our own services. So I know that's where part of part of it comes from. So yes. Well, good. You walk your talk. And being a Royals fan has not actually taken that much time over the last few years. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I didn't want to say anything there, but that's okay. Being a a Cubs fan myself, we don't really have a whole lot to, you know, lord over anybody else. So yeah. Well, so I'm curious how the idea for the company started. And and Marsha, that's probably for you because you're the founder, right? Yep, I sure am. And I started it out of the U- University of Wisconsin, Madison campus um, when I was in business school. And it really is just a byproduct of a simple question that one of my professors posed to me. And that is, hey, what are you going to do to make people's lives easier? And ironically, that did not come out of a entrepreneurship class. That actually came out of a supply chain management class. And from that simple question, what immediately popped into my head is, I can't think about this right now. I've got to repair my car, help my roommate move, and figure out a way to do my laundry so I have clean underwear for tomorrow. (laughs) And just by going through my checklist in my head about why I can't answer that question, like, oh, maybe there's a business here. And so that's how the business is going. Interesting. So there's lots of student entrepreneur ideas, but I'm guessing a lot of them probably don't take off the way your company did. How did you know when you, you were really on to something? Oh, I don't know if I do now. Um, it's <laughs> been a roller coaster, honestly. Um, I think the one thing that the UW has, which is pretty powerful, is a very strong network of mentors. And I think it takes a village to start a business. And by having a really strong support group with your peers, as well as with outside advisors, they really pushed me into some business plan competitions that allowed me to refine my idea. And then from that, I was able to get investment. I think, I think it does take a village in order to get, you know, a company off the ground. Well, I think a lot of folks 
focus on the founder, I think that's somewhat of a, of a misnomer. I think there's a person with an idea who can somewhat be a catalyst, but really it takes so many more people to make it a reality. Well, talk about some of the kinds of resources that you don't have to necessarily make this an Academy Awards, you know, thank you speech. But, <laughs> but, you know, talk about some of the kinds of resources that you needed along the journey and how you were able to find some of those resources. Well, I think I was really fortunate at the UW because I was accepted into a program for entrepreneurs called WAVE the Weinart Entrepreneurship Program. And that program allowed me to have consistent feedback from my peers about different aspects or avenues I was thinking about taking my business idea down. So by having that peer group constantly around you to give you feedback, I think that is really powerful. And you can find that not only at universities, but also at Chambers of Commerce. You can find that at incubators. You can find that at economic development centers. So they exist everywhere. It's just about immersing yourself in that environment so you can get that feedback. And often when you're in that environment, mentors kind of pop up naturally. And I was very, very fortunate. One of the judges on the business plan competition uh, became my mentor. I was talking to my dad on the phone and I was like, I can't believe I just won this. I mean, I don't even know what to do. Like, should I start this? Like, what am I? I mean, and my dad was, you know, very, you know, confident in my abilities. And he's like, yeah, uh, you can't even find your way around the block. How are you going to start a company? But what was. Yeah, I know. Very nice. <laughs> but what happened was that one of the judges overheard that conversation and he's like, hey, why don't you I'll give you a desk in my office and if whenever you have a question you can you know ask me and so i had that incredible environment his name is bob zobel and he's no longer with us but his family are still wonderful supporters of the company i had bob's constant mentorship which was so powerful along with a few others coupled with that relationship with the uw and it just was kind of a secret sauce for me in order to get it going you know, you, I think, have touched on a couple of common themes that I've heard as I've chatted with entrepreneurs all over the all over the country, really, and even all over the globe. One of my upcoming guests is from the UK. But two things. One is, is that there are going to be naysayers and negative voices. And so finding the balance, finding those positive sources of energy, those inspirations, I think is really important. Would you agree with that? Oh, I couldn't agree with you more, especially when you're young. Like when you're, you know, I started this company 20 years ago. And back then I was very hypersensitive. I mean, it's still my baby. I mean, ask my son, he'll admit that he's second born. So it is still my my first baby and my <laughs> first love and passion. But yeah, you you need kind of a nurturing support group to get you through. Especially for me, I have venture backing. So I have investors. And when you're going to raise capital, there is nothing more dehumanizing than some of the feedback you receive from some of the potential investors. Okay. And 
so you really have to kind of gird your loins for that kind of commentary and you can only get that by having a really strong support network yeah and the other theme that i think occurred to me as i was listening to you is that it's really important for entrepreneurs probably at all stages of business development but certainly when you're starting a business to get feedback if you just listen to the voices that are in your head you'll probably end up spending a lot of money <laughs> and <laughs> you, you might get you might get close but the chances of you actually getting there just listening to the voices in your head i you know i mean i think people you know they read stories about steve jobs or uh, michael dell and they somehow think that they these are just these forces that just had this this idea in their head and they just charged forward no matter what anybody said. And I, I'm not sure that's the case for either of them, but I, I certainly don't think that's the case for most entrepreneurs I've chatted with. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. I think that thankfully I had people who had been there and done that and were willing to share with me. I think it's so important not only to fail, fail yourself, but also to listen to others, you know, perceived failures and to avoid some of the common pitfalls. But as you said, if you were very insular, I think, out of the gates, you would spend more money than you needed to and not get half the distance. Yeah. So I think that's good insight. I was going to ask you about some of the challenges, and you've already alluded to the funding process, which I think is a part that a lot of startup companies are pretty fixated on. And rightfully mm -hmm. so. T talk a little bit about how you found funding and what advice you might give to other companies who are just starting on that process. Wow, that is such a loaded question because, <laughs> um, oh, I have. Well, you certainly you so certainly don't need to say mean things about past uh, venture funds that you've worked with. Oh no, 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 no! I would never do that. I mean, I think there's a, a purpose in this life for venture funds and they serve it well. And I think, I, I also think there's a mystique about raising outside capital and a lure towards that path, which when you're on that path, you, you start to see the bodies that litter the path because it is very, 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 very difficult to receive external financing for well, any what, idea. What makes it so challenging, do you think? I think there's a couple of different reasons why it's so challenging. I think it's challenging because of the people who hold the purse strings. And while it's changing, it's predominantly male and it's predominantly focused on certain industries. So if you fall outside their, you know, their kind of purview, they're not going to pay attention to you. And that's okay. They shouldn't. I mean, they have a mandate from their other investors about what they should be investing in. But because the concentration, I think, is very lopsided, it's, it can be difficult if you have something that might be outside their boundaries to even get an audience. And, and yeah. so that's part of the challenge. Yeah, um, I, I, well, but, I'll, I'll echo that. I had a project at one point not too long ago where I was working with a small company Actually, they were spinning off from a, it was a small business that was spinning off from a, a larger company. And in the kickoff meeting, I counted there were 32 men and me. 
<laughs> that happens to me all the time. But I want to say this because um, my all of my mentors have been men and my biggest cheerleaders have been men. And without the men in my life, I would not be where I am today. I think there is a beautiful push, though, for more diversity and inclusion on all sides of the financing table. And I think that is a healthy thing because I think diversity will make stronger stronger companies. You know, it's interesting. I think you're a perfect person to ask this question. How do we get more women involved in startups and venture capital? Having more successful women-founded businesses. I mean, I know personally that I will be reinvesting my money into other startups. I mean, that's where my money will be going as soon as I exit. I think the more success stories we have of female entrepreneurs, the more money and deal flow you will see. But the only way we're going to get there is, oh, it's like, you know, it's like we're stuck between somewhat of a rock and a hard place. The good news is that there are huge initiatives uh, that are happening, like with Goldman Sachs and Catapult, which I think is Capital One, that are focused on getting more women the financing they need. And I am the product of an organization called Springboard, which really spent a lot of time in coaching me on how to become a company that could attract, attract equity financing. And there are other ways to get financing, not just through VCs that you hear about in Silicon Valley or when you watch Shark Tank. Um, there's corporate <laughs> right. venture as well. You know, there's corporate venture. You can get financing from strategic partners who are potentially your clients or your vendors. So there are really creative ways to get financing as well. Very, very interesting. Well, hopefully we'll have a chance to have some of those as guests on the show in the future because uh, there there is a lot and it's certainly an area rightfully that a lot of businesses really focus on so you know going back to your company Aaron Solutions talk a little bit more about what your company actually does and how you do it sure um, we take care of people's household and personal to-do list while they work so that they can be much more productive and focused on the job and, you know, a critical byproduct in today's fast-paced society is mental health. And we are a really great tool in an employer's toolbox to bring a little bit of stress relief to what can be a very chaotic time. How do you do that? Well, um, Nikki, I'm going to let you answer this part of it because I've been talking a lot. Sure. I'll, uh, I'll also say the, uh, the thing that I always say is when people say, what do you do, is... If it is legal, we will do it. Oh. I know. And people are usually like, well, I mean, do you do anything? And I say, all right, think of the thing that has been in the back of your mind for months and has been bugging you and you know you need to get it done. We will help you finally get that thing done and out of the back of your mind. So that's that's kind of the way I use uh, our services is think to things that I really want to avoid like, I hate laundry. I'm never going to love laundry. And we have it worked out so I don't have to do laundry. We have a, a provider that will pick it up and bring it back to me. And if I can just get them to put it away afterwards, then I would be <laughs> all set. All right. So you basically 
help people with their to-do lists. And most people these days, I think, have a pretty long to-do list. But how do you help them do that? I mean, I think therein is yeah. the challenge. We all know, I know I have to move in a couple months and I have to get packed and I would really love somebody to help me pack. But finding that person is not so easy. Mm-hmm. And plus with all the competing kind of um, channels that you can investigate to help you, you don't know what to trust. Exactly. And so one of the things we do really well is vet um, providers to make sure they're trustworthy, that they have the insurance that they need. And also, you know, back to the diversity perspective, we also look for diverse providers as well because we believe that that makes for a healthy organization. So to put this in perspective, Doris, we have run over 7 billion errands no. over the last 20 years. Yeah. No. Billion. B. Uh-huh. And we have I'm, tracked... I'm, I'm, I'm astounded. That's that's an insane number. It is an insane number. And we have tracked absolutely every single one of those transactions. And every time we we process map a transaction, we become much more efficient. And we're getting to the point where we're even starting to apply machine learning to really make it even more and more and more efficient. So we've worked with over 4,800 vendor partners. We have touched oh, wow. over 4 million customers and we've saved over 3 billion hours. So are most of your providers, are they, they're companies that do a specialized kind of service as opposed to, um, you know, my, my gal Friday, the right-hand person who, you know, right. can run off and buy a present for my mom that I forgot about. Right. So we, um, we have learned over the years that it is smart business to work with small and local providers in the communities where um, the employees actually live. And and so we work with that local dry cleaner. We work with the local dog walker. We have found them to be much, much more reliable um, than some of what I'll say the national app, you know, more global recent app pop-ups that have happened. Just because they they seem to miss kind of the operational side of it. While they have a great technology, they don't necessarily have good follow-through. Um, yeah. Mickey, is there anything they, you'd like to add? They lack the personal yeah. touch a lot of times, I think. Sorry, oh, Mickey, absolutely. Go jump, jump in, Mickey. Don't be shy. Uh, well, I was, I, I, was going to, I was just going to wait until we finish that part because there's a whole other part that most people don't think about. So it's, it's easy to think of errands, dry cleaning, dog walking, stuff like that. You are moving, so finding movers is probably at the top of your list. But we have done this so many times that we have a long checklist of things like, hey, have you thought about any specialized movers you might need? So I have a piano. I have to have special piano movers. Yeah, um, yeah. If Have you thought about finding out more about your new neighborhood? Do you know about schools in the neighborhood? Uh, do you know which, uh, in Chicago, I'm not sure where it is, uh, where you are, but we can only have in certain buildings, certain cable providers. So oh. you may have a big plan to switch to a cable provider and not have that option. We can do mm. all of this research and it's even down to calling the local restaurant that's down the street from your new house saying, hey, we have some new customers moving into your neighborhood. 
can we give them a coupon to come and visit your your restaurant? So we really will help you wow. be introduced to your new location and connect you to those local providers because it's all about putting money back into your local community. Well, the, so the service you're describing and that, that Marsha alluded to is really a very personalized service. And um, I'm sure that that resonates with people because great customer service, we all hear it, we all say it, but it really is true. Great customer service is tough to find these days. How do you, though, you know, the challenge is then, Marsha, as you've alluded to, you're working with a lot of different local vendors to ensure you've got that great personalized customer service, people that are passionate about providing that and and execute on what they say they're going to do. But that doesn't that make finding those people and managing that network more challenging for you because now instead of 10 national providers, you might have, I, I don't know, probably a lot of local vendors. So it, that's a great question. And I, I, the landscape of business has changed so much in the 20 years since I started the company that when I first started the company, that was incredibly challenging. But now with everything that we've done from a technology perspective, um, it is much easier for us to connect the dots to that local farmer that's going to be growing your produce and delivering it to your door um, personally than it was 20 years ago. And so just how businesses have evolved and kind of how we have deployed our technology, it allows us to connect the dots much, much more seamlessly. And that personal service is such a critical component of it. And one of the things that we do pride ourselves on is that we will hold your hand the entire way. So while you may be looking for that local CSA, we will just, we'll make sure that we follow up with you and we stay in constant contact with you. And part of, I think, our secret sauce um, lives in Land Lakes, Wisconsin. Um, up in that rural community is where our solution center is. And it is staffed to the guilds with these wonderful, wonderful team members whose only job is to really focus on making sure that your life is easier. And they have wow. been doing this um, and they've got at their fingertips all those data points that I had alluded to earlier. So they can quickly assess and make sure that you are, your expectations are being exceeded. Wow. Wow. Uh, so I'm gonna just break right there we need to take a moment to do our station identification and have a word from a couple of our sponsors. So stay tuned, everybody. We'll be right back with Marsha McVicker and Mickey York from Aaron Solutions right after the break. We are back. This is Doris Nagel, host of The Savvy Entrepreneur. We are chatting with Marsha McVicker and Mickey York who joined us on the show this week to share the story of their small but growing company called Aaron Solutions. Marsha, before the break, we were talking a little bit about the customer service and the customer experience and the fact that you've kind of got that down to a science. I wonder, was that a challenge early on, though, to, to get to the point where you are now? 
I think I think maybe a better way of of me answering that question is to understand that I have always considered our people, our team members to be the heart of the company and to be truly the reason why we'll either succeed or fail. And every single one of my team members knows that they have such a powerful impact on the health of the organization. I run a very transparent company, so folks know where they stand all the time and how the company is doing from a client perspective, a vendor perspective, and a financial perspective. And I think by having that buy-in and really starting um, with a foundation of really respecting the folks that you work with every single day and empowering them to do the right thing, people will do the right thing. And everybody always asks me, like, because we'll sign up, like Close Department Stars has been a long-standing client of ours, and, and everybody's like, well, what happens if there's that one employee that just uses you guys all the time? Um, I'm like, that's great. That's what we want. I mean, we want the entire organization to be using us all the time. That means that we're really performing the way we should be performing, and we're really being a relief to those folks. And so I've never limited my team in terms of what they can do and how they do it. And because of that, I think that's why we are still around after 20 years. I mean, I think you know the statistics, Doris, you know, less than 7% of all companies ever created make it as long as we have. And that goes straight to the heart of, you know, who we are, and that's our people. Marsha, you alluded to the fact that the business has changed a lot over the past 20 years that you've been in business. What are some of the more recent challenges that you've found yourself trying to get your arms around as the business has grown and evolved? I think one of the most interesting challenges has to do with our data. So we have always collected information on everybody that we touch so that we can proactively serve them. Mm. And when you go out and you raise capital, people ask you, how are you going to monetize that data? And I have never done that because I believe in the privacy of the folks that we serve. And that's contrary to, I think, what you're seeing with Facebook or Google and how they're monetizing every single touch point. That's not who we are. We, we value the relationships with the people who use us every single day as being sacred. And we're not going to go resell that for a quick buck. You know, for us, it's about making their lives easier, not peppering their inboxes. And because that's contrary to others who run technology businesses, that can often lead to difficult conversations in boardrooms with investors. But we've always stayed mm. true to that. Interesting. Um, yeah. Mickey, is there anything that you would add along those lines? No, that was very wise. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm curious about how you establish the markets that you've established. Because <clears throat> there are obviously lots and lots of places that could use your services how do you go about figuring out which parts of the market you want Aaron Solutions to be in and and where you're probably not going to play, or at least not right now? During, that has... during the winter, we definitely <laughs> like to look at warm places. 
<laughs> I knew he was going there. We're yeah. launching Hawaii, and we're very excited about it. Yeah. Well, I guess, I mean, Mickey, you're right. Within my question are really two separate things. One is, geographically, how do you do it? But also, there are, I would guess, certain kinds of personal services that you maybe emphasize more than others or... I don't know. Maybe you do, maybe you do whatever people ask you. If what you alluded to earlier, we really do everything. But you are right. There's such a difference from geography to geography and from industry to industry. One of the things that we always think is really funny is that teeth whitening is huge in Arizona. We assume it's because <laughs> it is much warmer there, and they are all tan. And so their teeth look way better next to their tan skin than ours do next to our pasty Chicago skin. <laughs> uh, and we have, we have taken surveys across the country. And in Arizona, we say, how much do you care about this? And it's something like 90% of the population surveyed will respond that they care a lot about teeth whitening. We do the same survey in Milwaukee, and it's like 3% care about teeth whitening. So, Unbelievable. Yeah. That is really funny. And every place is different. Um, downtown Milwaukee has a lot of things kind of right there in the downtown area. But another one of our locations in Franklin, things are a little bit more spread out. So our customers in Franklin don't have the time to leave during their lunch break because they have to drive further. So we may do more errand running things in that area. And we made you more kind of on the spot things in downtown Milwaukee. So every single location is completely unique. And all of our customers are different at every location as well. Wow. Given the breadth of your services, though, I have to imagine that scaling it and dealing with the ebb and flow is is challenging. Just as an example, if you had a large group of nursing homes and assisted living facilities sign up to be a client, all of a sudden you would need a whole lot of people running out to get Depends and taking elderly people to the dentist. And, <laughs> you know, well, I'm, I'm just speaking from my own personal experience because I know that's, that's what my sister does a lot of for my mom. But I'm just imagining how you would suddenly deal with that avalanche of requests of those kinds. So our, our niche is these large multinational organizations and large healthcare systems. Those are kind of our two main markets. And so we're used to onboarding 30,000 people, 50,000 people at one shot. We've kind of got that formula down. And it's gotten easier, as I have said earlier, and it's much more scalable based on kind of the technology infrastructure that we've been able to put in place. A lot of these mom pods that we do work with do not have an existing infrastructure. And so it's easy to layer them onto ours. And it just increases our turnaround times. It has increased our ability to communicate. It has increased our ability to collect relevant data faster. And so it's it's actually incredibly scalable. You'd be surprised. Now, we've been I, at I'm, this for I'm 20 ast- years. I'm astounded. I mean, you could probably have a an entire side business that's in the business of onboarding 30,000 people at a time effectively because as far as I know, there aren't too many people who do that very well. So uh, that's amazing in and of itself to me. 
Well, it's the one thing that we love, not the one thing, but I think the one constant is that when you tell people you're going to run their errands while they work, nobody says, oh, God, no. Like people really want to engage with you. So because they are motivated to engage, it actually makes it relatively easy to connect the dots for them. That might be a great segue into the book that I know you're working on and some of the stories, because in those 7 billion errands have got to be some pretty phenomenal stories. I've got to hear a couple of your best stories. Sure. And hey, Mickey, is How to How to Save a Choking Iguana, is that coming out this month? Probably not this month. The last draft is on my desk, so we are scheduled for the beginning of February. So February 2010, folks, you should be looking for the book, which is called what, Mickey? How to Save a Choking Iguana. That's probably our most famous story. It's been handed down through the years, and Marsha and I luckily know the original person who did save that choking iguana because now everyone that we talk to, they say this story can't be real, and it is <laughs> it is 100% true from start to finish. Okay, well, so at the risk of, of spoiling it for people who buy the book, you got to tell the story, at least an abbreviated version of it. It started when one of our customers was just chatting with uh, one of our on-site team members. And that's how we get so much information about our customers is just getting to know them as people. And our team member knew that the customer's son was allergic to any kind of animal with fur, dogs, cats, horses, anything. And she had just done some some random research and suggested an iguana. And... (laughs) The the customer said, oh, my gosh, aren't they dirty? And we were all ready with all kinds of facts about iguanas, about how they make great pets and they're clean and they're great for kids. And she went ahead and adopted an iguana. And we, we thought that everything was great until a few weeks later, the phone rings and our on-site team member picks up the phone and someone is crying in Spanish, and she did not speak Spanish, so she quickly ran to find someone to translate the phone call for her, because let's remember, this was in the early days of the internet, so we couldn't just hop on Google Voice there, and found out that it was it was the housekeeper for, and the iguana was choking on a Lego, and oh, no. she didn't know what to do, so we jumped into motion and found a taxi that would transport pets which easy to find for dogs and cats, not so easy to find for iguanas. And then you also have to find a specialized vet because you can't just go to any emergency animal hospital. Right. And then this is, this is a slightly sad part of the story, but just in case we looked at pet stores to see if we could find a replacement iguana, <laughs> which what? obviously was not the goal, but we were, we were all set to go and, connected all of those dots, got the iguana to the vet. The vet saved the iguana, saved the Lego even. And <laughs> when we uh, when we talked to the customer, she was overjoyed that the pet had been saved. Her child was happy. We had we had also calmed down the the franticness that had been happening during the day. And that's the the strange story of how we saved that iguana. That is a great story. 
you know, it it does raise a question though. Are most of your clients individuals like the lady or the family with the iguana pet, or are they companies like Kohl's or a large hospital, or are they a mixture of both? So we sign our contracts with these large organizations who then deploy us as an employee benefit. So for less than the cost of a Starbucks per employee, you can have our services available as an employee benefit. And the reason why companies do this is because it does radically increase the productivity and the focus of their team, as well as just, you know, it makes, it's a great goodwill gesture that just makes for happier, less stressed out employees that, you know, will hang around longer and not leave. So I'm guessing that finding the right partners and also finding the right employees as you've grown is pretty key to your success because it is so very personalized. What do you look for when you're hiring somebody? We interview everyone based on our core values. And then we couple that with attributes of team members who are consistent A, A plus performers. And so we do interviews that specifically ask prospects how they would handle very specific situations. And we grade them based on our core values as well as core character rates and skill sets. For example, you know, one of our core values um, has to do with being persistent and not giving up until you find the right solution for the person that you're trying to help, as was the example that Mickey just gave in that great story. Absolutely. Wow. They were prepared. (laughs) Well, and those, you have to have people that are willing to roll with the punches because if you're a person who likes to do this little process every single day might not be a great fit because it sounds like you're looking for people who relish the idea of, huh, how would I find a vet that, that treats Yes. yes. I mean, to that point, this is why I love the fact, and this is why I would encourage all entrepreneurs to look at non-traditional settings to open up their location. So as I mentioned earlier, Land Lakes, Wisconsin is where our solution center is. And that's where our team members who are the best problem solvers on the planet live. And part of the reason why that is such a great location for the team is because in rural communities, you have a lot of folks that are used to working multiple jobs and problem solving, challenging situations, and being very focused until they get the outcome that they want. And so it's a great breeding environment for our type, the types of employees that we love to have on our team. And plus, when you call the Solution Center, whether, like, especially if you're calling from Silicon Valley, which, you know, one of our larger clients happens to be located, they're like, oh my gosh, it's like talking to my sister. It's just Mm. so warm and friendly and welcoming because you can't train a smile. You either have it or you don't. And that is really a critical part of who we are. Inevitably, with any kind of business, especially small businesses, though, there are always challenges. What keeps you going? What inspires you, Marsha, when you hit the inevitable rough patches? Oh, boy, we've had a lot. I think, you know, reflecting back on the years from death, to 
to diagnosis to significant cash flow situations. I think what is interesting to me is that my biggest obstacles are always correspond to my biggest joys. So when I'm when personally when I'm often in my darkest place, that's where Mickey and other team members really kind of buoy me. You know, they lift my spirits, and it can be it's almost like the universe meets you where you're at. So suddenly I might get a call from a client who's like, "Oh my gosh, thank you so much. You just saved my company. You know." $100,000 this last quarter alone because you prevented these people from leaving and you saved this person this much time. I mean, it just, to me, life is about relationships. And I really believe in my heart that you, you know, it's, it's, it's almost like karma. The joy you put out is the joy you'll receive back in. And, and often it happens when you need it the most. And so I'm very, very fortunate to have a business where we're about making people's lives easier and bringing joy and peace and harmony to those that we serve. And so oftentimes when I need that joy, peace and harmony, they're there for me. So that's inspirational. Thanks for sharing that with us. So uh, question for both of you, uh, where do you see the business in five years and what are some of the challenges and obstacles between now and, and that time period? Oh, that's a great question. I mean, I used to say world domination, but now I, I, I love, I mean, saving I, world I, hunger now is, is <laughs> world peace, right? Okay. <laughs> I'm just teasing. Uh, Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> I just think the more people we can serve, the better. I know we have really major growth plans. We are global and we're continuing to touch more companies and more countries. But I think ultimately, we just want to continue doing what we're doing because we we feel very rewarded by that. And also, I mean, gosh, who doesn't want their errands run? I mean, I mean, it's it's just it does bring tremendous mental relief to those we touch. But Nikki, what what do you think? Just coming from a technology standpoint, yes, I want to do the same things that we are we are always doing that we've been doing for 20 years but I want to do them better and faster and easier Mm -hmm. so that Mm -hmm. people like me that wait till the last minute, I waited until the day before I had to renew my license plate to get it done because I was too scared to find out how much it would cost. So for people like me that wait till the last minute for us to be able to provide a solution in just a couple of minutes, that, that would be my goal for five years down the line. We'll be able to make things happen as soon as you need them. Yeah. I know a lot of folks are afraid of AI and machine learning, but I think if it's deployed appropriately, it can really boost productivity and free human beings up to have more meaningful conversations to get to solutions faster. I think people are so scared of sharing their own personal data. And to me, personal data, I don't need your social security number. I don't need to know how much money you make. But I do want to know if you like listening to Katy Perry. So that's (laughs) something that can go into our system. And machine learning can take that information. And not in the same way that like when you buy a toilet seat on Amazon, 
then all of a sudden your social media ads start showing you tons of pictures of toilet seats for sale. <laughs> so I, I hadn't had that happen, but now I'm going to be sure I do not buy my toilet seats from Amazon. Nope. Thank you for that. You got to go buy that, in, <laughs> buy that in person. But like I bought a belt online and it's, I have my belt. I don't need millions of belts, but all of a sudden that's all my social media was. So that part of machine learning is great because it can suggest some things that you may need, but right. it can't go far enough to say, all right, we understand you got this. Here's something that's related to that that may be of interest to you. So let's say we know our customer likes Katy Perry. She has a new artist that she just signed to her label or she just booked a concert in an area that we know you love vacationing in. Those are the dots that, that our machine learning will eventually connect because we get to know our people's uh, data as people and not as mouse clicks. Very great insight. I think uh, one of the most eye-opening things for me in listening to you talk about the business is I very naively focused on the people side of the business, but I did not have an appreciation for the incredible technology foundation that you put in place. So I think that's a, a very interesting learning and probably something that a lot of small businesses, particularly startups, need to really think about investing in when they're in a service business is to, to find ways to to invest in that early so that they can scale, as you've described. Um, Marcia, you you kind of alluded just in passing about, you know, when I exit the business, do you see yourself working forever for Aaron Solutions, or is there a, some point that you think it might be time to do something else? And if it were, what would you do? Um, I love, in case you can't tell, I love, 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 love this company and everybody that we touch. And I have no plans of exiting anytime soon. In fact, I have no plans of ever stopping working. I don't know what the future brings. I mean, I know we have been approached multiple, multiple, multiple times from an acquisition perspective. And we have said no to date. That's not to say that at some point I won't say yes, but two of the most inspiring hires I made recently are both in their 70s. And wow. these new team members, I mean, I want to be them when I grow up. I mean, the energy, the enthusiasm, um, and the connections that they have and the brilliance from their lives lived are only adding to the richness of our company. So, you know, as you can tell from our bios, Mickey and I are, are, have lives outside of the company yep. that are pretty robust. Yes, um, you do. And we're fortunate because the company does allow for us to do that. But the moment, the moment I say that I have an alternative plan, you know, life has a way of, of, of changing uh -oh. it up. So yeah. <laughs> just keep it open. <laughs> so keep it open. All right. Well, we, we need to wrap up here. Believe it or not, the hour usually does just fly by when we're talking about interesting businesses like yours. What advice would both of you give to others who are just starting their business or maybe thinking about starting one? Like you mentioned at the beginning, I teach in the business and entrepreneurship department and I have 50 students every semester that create a fake company and use that throughout the semester. And 
every semester, one or two people will come up to me and say, hey, I decided to make this a real company. What should I do from now on? And to me, the thing that is making those students the most successful, and one of them just launched a record label here in Chicago, which is great. She's 22 and uh, launched her own label. It's not being afraid to ask questions, but also have an idea of what you are, what you need to ask questions about. So the students that I've seen that haven't gone all the way are the ones that are scared of computers, scared of math, (laughs) uh, scared of writing. And what I always tell them is, hey, here's how to use Excel. Don't be afraid to just Google it. Go to someone that knows how to use Excel. They will teach you. And if you realize you don't want to do it, find someone to help you find a business partner. So I love seeing these young people putting together companies with their friends. I actually founded a theater company when I was 23 and we had no idea what we were doing. And we kind of did trial and error as we went along and talked to those more experienced people just about the specific details. So it's more than calling and saying, Hey, how should I start a business? It's all right. (laughs) I want to do this. What do you think? So informed mm-hmm. questions and yeah. not being afraid to ask them is my sum up answer to a very long response. That's a that's a great answer. Marsha, what about you? I love you? it. What uh, about just you? Keep Any moving. pearls of wisdom? Yeah. Yeah, I just keep, keep moving. Days will get dark and you'll want to give up, but don't. I mean, I'm just going to go back to the McFicker family motto that Max and I use all the time. You just keep on swimming, um, to quote a very famous fish. So you just keep swimming. And to get back to a little bit of the heart of what Nikki was talking about, as long as you stay true to who you are and true to your own mission, you have to trust yourself first and trust your vision. But then you surround yourself with people who can give you the support that you need. And if you're like me, who are a lot smarter than you are, and who, like Nikki, as you can tell, and who've been there and done that, you'll be fine. You just have to keep putting the... Some days you're not going to feel like it, but just just keep moving. It's persistence and grit pays off in the end. Marsha and Mickey, too, thank you so much for being on the show today. It was really a delight having you. I appreciate your time and insights. Oh, thanks, guys. It was fun. It was our pleasure. Thanks for having me. It was fun. And, again, so if people want to learn more about your business or to find the book, what should they do? Uh, we they will have information to... about the book on our website uh, as soon as it is ready to go. So everything will be there at erinsolutions.com. Fantastic. That is our show for this week. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And thank you especially again to our guests today, Marsha McVicker and Mickey York from Erin Solutions. I hope everybody enjoyed listening to their story as much as I did. And I know I'll be watching for their upcoming book. To listen to an on-demand recording podcast of today's show, along with other free information and resources for entrepreneurs, you can go to the Savvy Entrepreneur page at lakesradio.org or my consulting site, www.globalocityservices.com or my law uh, practice website, which is forsythialaw.com. Now, be sure to join us next Saturday when our guest will be Chelsea Brownridge. She is the CEO and founder of a company called Dogspot, and she'll be here to share the story of how she built her business 
And I know it will be a great listen, I promise. So don't miss it. And until then, everybody, I'm Doris Nagel, wishing you happy entrepreneuring.